Section 3 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce, Part 1, The Telemachade, Episode 2, Nestor. You, Cochrane, what city sent for him? Tarentum, sir. Very good. Well? There was a battle, sir. Very good. Where? The boy's blank face asked the blank window. Fabled by the daughters of memory, and yet it was in some way, if not as memory fabled it. A phrase, then, of impatience, thud of Blake's wings of excess. I hear the ruin of all space, shattered glass and toppled masonry, and time one livid final flame. What's left us, then? I forget the place, sir, 279 B.C. Ascalum, Stephen said, glancing at the name and date in the Gorse Guard book. Yes, sir. And he said, Another victory like that, and we are done for. That phrase the world had remembered. A dull ease of the mind. From a hill above a corpse-room plain, a general speaking to his officers leaned upon his spear. Any general to any officers. They lend ear. You, Armstrong, Stephen said. What was the end of Pyrrhus? End of Pyrrhus, sir? I know, sir. Ask me, sir, Common said. Wait. You, Armstrong. Do you know anything about Pyrrhus? A bag of fig rolls lay snugly in Armstrong's satchel. He curled them between his palms at whiles and swallowed them softly. Crumbs adhered to the tissue of his lips, a sweetened boy's breath. Well-off people, proud that their eldest son was in the navy. Vico rode, Dalky. Pyrrhus, sir? Pyrrhus. A peer? All laughed. Mirthless, high, malicious laughter. Armstrong looked round at his classmates, silly glee in profile. In a moment they will laugh more loudly, aware of my lack of rule and the fees their papas pay. "'Tell me now,' Stephen said, poking the boy's shoulder with a book. "'What is a pier?' "'A pier, sir,' Armstrong said. "'A thing out of the water, a kind of a bridge. Kingston Pier, sir.' Some laughed again, mirthless but with meaning. Two in the back bench whispered, "'Yes, they knew.' had never learned nor even been innocent, all. With envy he watched their faces, Edith, Ethel, Gertie, Lily, their likes, their breaths, too, sweetened with tea and jam, their bracelets tittering in the struggle. Kingston Pier, Stephen said, yes. A disappointed bridge. The words troubled their gaze. How, Sir Common asked. A bridge is across a river. For Haynes' chapbook. No one here to hear. Tonight, deftly amid wild drink and talk, to pierce the polished mail of his mind. What then? A jester at the court of his master, indulged and disesteemed, winning a clement master's praise. Why had they chosen all that part, not wholly for the smooth caress? For them, too, history was a tale like any other too often heard, their land a pawn-shop. Had Pyrrhus not fallen by Bedlam's hand in Argos, or Julius Caesar not been knifed to death? They are not to be thought away. Time has branded them and fettered they are lodged in a room of the infinite possibilities they have ousted. But can those have been possible, seeing that they never were? Or was that only possible which came to pass? Weave, weaver of the wind. Tell us a story, sir. Oh, do, sir, a ghost story. Where do you begin in this? Stephen asked, opening another book. Weep no more, Common said. Go on, then, Talbot. And the story, sir? After, Stephen said. Go on, Talbot. A swarthy boy opened a book and propped it nimbly under the breastwork of his satchel. 
he recited jerks of verse with awed glances at the text weep no more woeful shepherds weep no more for lycidas your sorrow is not dead sunk though he be beneath the watery floor it must be a movement then an actuality of the possible as possible aristotle's phrase formed itself within the gabbled verses and floated out into the studio silence of the library of st genevieve where they read sheltered from the sin of paris night by night by his elbow a delicate siamese conned a handbook of strategy fed and feeding brains about me under glow-lamps impaled with faintly beating feelers and in my mind's darkness a sloth of the underworld reluctant shy of brightness shifting her dragon's scaly folds thought is the thought of thought tranquil brightness the soul is in a manner all that is the soul is the form of forms tranquillity sudden vast candescent form of forms talbot repeated through the dear might of him that walked the waves through the dear might turn over stephen said quietly i don't see anything what sir talbot asked simply bending forward his hand turned the page over he leaned back and went on again having just remembered of him that walked the waves here also over those craven hearts his shadow lies and on the scoffer's heart and lips and on mine it lies upon their eager faces who offered him a coin of the tribute to caesar what is caesar's to god what is god's a long look from dark eyes a riddling sentence to be woven and woven on the church's looms ay riddle me riddle me randy roe my father gave me seeds to sow talbot slid his closed book into his satchel have i heard all stephen asked yes sir hockey at ten sir half day sir thursday who can answer a riddle stephen asked they bundled their books away pencils clacking pages rustling crowding together they strapped and buckled their satchels all gabbling gaily a riddle sir ask me sir oh ask me sir a hard one sir this is the riddle stephen said the cock crew the sky was blue the bells in heaven were striking eleven tis time for the poor soul to go to heaven what is that what sir again sir we didn't hear their eyes grew bigger as the lines were repeated after a silence cochran said what is it sir we give up stephen his throat itching answered the fox bearing his grandmother under a holly bush he stood up and gave a shout of nervous laughter to which their cries echoed dismay a stick struck the door and a voice in the corridor called hockey they broke asunder sidling out of their benches leaping them quickly they were gone and from the lumber room came the rattle of sticks and clamor of their boots and tongues sergeant who alone had lingered came forward slowly showing an open copy-book his thick hair and scraggy neck gave witness of unreadiness and through his misty glasses weak eyes looked up pleading on his cheek dull and bloodless a soft stain of ink lay date-shaped recent and damp as a snail's bed he held out his copy-book the word sums was written on the headline beneath were sloping figures at the foot a crooked signature with blind loops and a blot cyril sargent his name and seal mr deasy told me to write them out again he said and show them to you sir stephen touched the edge of the book futility do you understand how to do them now he asked numbers eleven to fifteen sergeant answered mr deasy said i was to copy them off the board sir can you do them yourself stephen asked no sir 
ugly and futile. Lean neck and thick hair and a stain of ink, a snail's bed. Yet someone had loved him, borne him in her arms and in her heart. But for her the race of the world would have trampled him underfoot, a squashed boneless snail. She had loved his weak watery blood drained from her own. Was that then real? The only true thing in life? His mother's prostate body, the fiery Columbanus in holy zeal bestrode. She was no more. The trembling skeleton of a twig burnt in the fire, an odor of rosewood and wetted ashes. She had saved him from being trampled underfoot and had gone, scarcely having been. A poor soul gone to heaven, and on a heath beneath winking stars a fox, red reek of rapine in his fur, with merciless bright eyes scraped in the earth, listened, scraped up the earth, listened, scraped, and scraped. Sitting at his side, Stephen solved out the problem. He proves by algebra that Shakespeare's ghost is Hamlet's grandfather. The sergeant peered askance through his slanted glasses. Hockey sticks rattled in the lumber room. The hollow knock of a ball and calls from the field. Across the page the symbols moved in grave Morris, in the mummery of their letters, wearing quaint caps of squares and cubes. Give hands, traverse, bow to partner, so. Imps of fancy of the Moors. Gone too from the world, Averroes and Moses Maimonides, dark men in mien and movement flashing in their mocking mirrors and obscure soul of the world, a darkness shining in brightness which brightness could not comprehend. Do you understand now? Can you work the second one for yourself? Yes, sir. In long, shaky strokes, Sergeant copied the data. Waiting always for a word of help, his hand moved faithfully in unsteady symbols, a faint hue of shame flickering behind his dull skin. Amor mattress, subjective and objective genitive. With her weak blood and waysour milk, she had fed him and hid him from sight of others, his swaddling bands. Like him was I, these sloping shoulders, this gracelessness, my childhood bends beside me. Too far for me to lay a hand there once or lightly. Mine is far, and his, secret as our eyes. Secrets, silent, stony, sit in the dark palaces of both our hearts. Secrets weary of their tyranny, tyrants willing to be dethroned. The sum was done. It is very simple, Stephen said as he stood up. Yes, sir. Thanks, Sergeant answered. He dried the page with a sheet of thin blotting paper and carried his copybook back to his bench. You had better get your stick and go out to the others, Stephen said, as he followed towards the door of the boy's graceless form. Yes, sir. In the corridor his name was heard, called from the playfield. Sergeant! Run on, Stephen said. Mr. Deasy is calling you. He stood in the porch and watched the laggard hurry towards the scrappy field where sharp voices were in strife. They were sorted in teams, and Mr. Deasy came away, stepping over wisps of grass with gaitered feet. When he had reached the schoolhouse, voices again contending called to him. He turned his angry white moustache. "'What is it now?' he cried continually without listening. "'Cochrane and Halliday are on the same side, sir,' Stephen said. "'Will you wait in my study for a moment,' Mr. Deasy said, "'till I restore order here?' And as he stepped fussily back across the field, his old man's voice cried sternly, "'What is the matter? What is it now?' Their sharp voices cried about him on all sides, their many forms closed round him, the garish sunshine bleaching the honey of his ill-dyed head. Stale smoky air hung in the study, with the smell of drab abraded leather of its chairs. As on the first day he bargained with me here, as it was in the beginning, is now. 
on the sideboard the tray of stuart coins base treasure of a bog and ever shall be and snug in their spoon case of purple plush faded the twelve apostles having preached to all the gentiles world without end a hasty step over the stone porch and in the corridor blowing out his rare moustache mr deasy halted at the table first our little financial settlement he said he brought out of his coat a pocket-book bound by a leathery thong it slapped open and he took from it two notes one of joined halves and laid them carefully on the table two he said strapping and stowing his pocket-book away and now his strong-room for the gold stephen's embarrassed hand moved over the shells heaped in the cold stone mortar whelks and money cowries and leopard shells and this whirled as an emer's turban and this the scallop of st james an old pilgrim's hoard dead treasure hollow shells a sovereign fell bright and new on the soft pile of the tablecloth three mr dreesy said turning his little savings box about in his hand these are handy things to have see this is for sovereigns this is for shillings sixpences and half crowns and here are crowns see he shot from it two crowns and two shillings three twelve he said i think you'll find that's right thank you sir stephen said gathering his money together with shy haste and putting it all in his pocket of his trousers no thanks at all mr dreesy said you have earned it stephen's hand free again went back to the hollow shells symbols too of beauty and of power a lump in my pocket symbol soiled by greed and misery don't carry it like that mr deasy said you'll pull it out somewhere and lose it you just buy one of these machines you'll find them very handy answer something mine would be often empty stephen said the same room an hour the same wisdom and i the same three times now three nooses round me here well i can break them in this instant if i will because you don't save mr deasy said pointing his finger you don't know yet what money is money is power when you have lived as long as i have i know i know if youth but knew but what does shakespeare say put but money in thy purse iago stephen murmured he lifted his gaze from the idle shells to the old man's stare he knew what money was mr deasy said he made money a poet yes but an englishman too do you know what is the pride of the english do you know what is the proudest word you will ever hear from an englishman's mouth the sea's ruler his sea-cold eyes looked on the empty bay it seems history is to blame on me and on my words unhating that on his empire stephen said the sun never sets bah mr deasy said that's not english a french celt said that he tapped his saving box against his thumbnail i will tell you he said solemnly what is his proudest boast i paid my way good man good man i paid my way i never borrowed a shilling in my life can you feel that i owe nothing can you mulligan nine pounds three pairs of socks one pair of brogues ties curran ten guineas mccann one guinea fred ryan two shillings temple two lunches russell one gilly cousins ten shillings bob reynolds half a guinea kohler three guineas miss mckernan five weeks board the lump i have is useless for the moment no stephen answered mr deasy laughed with rich delight putting back his saving box i knew you couldn't he said joyously but one day you must feel it we are a generous people but we must also be just 
I fear those big words, Stephen said, which make us so unhappy. Mr. Deasy stared sternly for some moments over the mantelpiece at the shapely bulk of a man in tartan fillybigs. Albert Edward, Prince of Wales. You think me an old fogey and an old Tory, his thoughtful voice said. I saw three generations since O'Connell's time. I remember the famine of forty-six. Do you know what the Orange Lodges agitated for repeal of the Union twenty years before O'Connell did, or before the prelates of your communion denounced him as a demagogue? You Fenians forget some things. Glorious, pious, and immortal memory, the Lodge of Diamond and Armagh, and the splendid behung with corpses of papishes, horse massed and armed with planter's covenant, the black north and true blue Bible, croppies lie down. Stephen sketched a brief gesture. I have rebel blood in me too, Mr. Deasy said, on the spindle side, but I am descended from Sir John Blackwood, who voted for the Union. We are all Irish, all king's sons. Alas, Stephen said. Pervius rectus, Mr. Deasy said firmly, was his motto. He voted for it, and put on his top boots to ride to Dublin from Ards of Down to do so. La la ra la ra, the rocky road to Dublin. A gruff squire on horseback with shiny top boots. Soft day, Sir John, soft day, Your Honour. Day, day. Two top boots jog dangling on to Dublin. That reminds me, Mr. Deasy said. You can do me a favor, Mr. Dedalus, with some of your literary friends. I have a letter here for the press. Sit down a moment. I have just to copy the end. He went to the desk near the window, pulled on his chair twice, and read off some words from the sheet in the drum of the typewriter. Sit down. Excuse me, he said over his shoulder. The dictates of common sense. Just a moment. He peered from under the shaggy brows at the manuscript by his elbow, and, muttering, began to prod the stiff buttons of the keyboard slowly, sometimes blowing as he screwed up the drum to erase an error. Stephen seated himself noiselessly before the princely presence. Framed around the walls, images of vanished horses stood in homage, their meek heads poised in air. Lord Hastings repulsed, the Duke of Westminster shot over, the Duke of Beaufort Ceylon, Prix de Paris, 1866, elfin riders sat them, watchful of a sign. He saw their speeds backing King's colors and shouted with the shouts of vanished crowds. Full stop, Mr. Deasy bade his keys, but prompt ventilation of this all-important question. Where Cranley led me to get rich quick, hunting his winners among the mud-splashed brakes, amid the balls of bookies, on their pitches and reek of the canteen, over the motley slush, fair rebel, fair rebel. Even money the favorite, ten to one the field, dicers and thimble-riggers we hurried after the hoofs, the vine caps and jackets, and past the meat-faced women, a butcher's dame nuzzling thirstily her clove of orange. Shouts rang shill from the boy's playfield in a whirring whistle. Again, a goal. I am among them, among their battling bodies in a medley, the joust of life. You mean that knock-kneed mother's darling who seems to be slightly crossick? Jousts. Time shocked rebounds, shock by shock. Jousts, slush and uproar of battles, the frozen death spew of the slain, a shout of spear-spikes baited with men's bloody guts. Now then, Mr. Deasy said, rising. He came to the table, pinning together his sheets. Stephen stood up. I have put the matter into a nutshell, Mr. Deasy said. It's about the foot and mouth disease. Just look through it. There can be no two opinions on this matter. May I trespass on your valuable space, that doctrine of laissez-faire which so often in our history, our cattle trade, 
the way of all our old industries liverpool ring with jockey the galway harbour scheme european conflagration grain supplies through the narrow waters of the channel the pluterperfect imperturbability of the department of agriculture pardoned a classical illusion cassandra by a woman who was no better than she should be to come to the point at issue i don't mince words do i mr deasy asked if stephen read on foot and mouth disease known as coke's preparation serum and virus percentage of salted horses rinderpest emperor's horses at mertzeg lower austria veterinary surgeons mr henry blackwood price courteous offer a fair trial dictates of common sense all-important question in every sense of the word take the bull by the horns thanking you for the hospitality of your columns i want that to be printed and read mr deasy said you will see at the next outbreak that they will put an embargo on irish cattle and it can be cured it is cured my cousin blackwood price writes to me it is regularly treated and cured in austria by cattle doctors there they offer to come over here i am trying to work up influence with the department now i am going to try publicity i am surrounded by difficulties by intrigues by backstairs influence by he raised his forefinger and beat the air oddly before his voice spoke mark my words mr dedalus he said england is in the hands of the jews in all the highest places her finance her press and they are the signs of a nation's decay wherever they gather they eat up the nation's vital strength i have seen it coming these years i am sure as we are standing here the jew merchants are already at their work of destruction old england is dying he stepped swiftly off and his eyes coming to blue life as they passed a broad sunbeam he faced about and back again dying he said if not dead by now the harlot's cry from street to street shall weave old england's winding sheet his eyes opened wide and vision stared sternly across the sunbeam in which he halted a merchant stephen said is one who buys cheap and sells dear jew or gentile is he not they sinned against the light, Mr. Deasy said gravely, and you can see the darkness in their eyes, and that is why there are wanderers on the earth to this day. On the steps of the Paris Stock Exchange, the gold-skinned men, quoting prices on their gemmed fingers, gabble of geese, they swarmed loud, uncouth about the temple, their heads thick plodding under the maladroit silk hats. Not theirs, these clothes, this speech, these gestures, their full, slow eyes belied the words the gestures eager and unoffending, but knew the rancors massed about them and knew their zeal was vain, vain patience to heap and hoard. Time surely would scatter all, a hoard heap by the roadside, plundered and passing on. Their eyes knew their years of wandering, and patient knew the dishonors of their flesh. Who has not, Stephen said. What do you mean? Mr. Deasy asked. He came forward a pace and stood by the table. His underjaw fell sideways, open uncertainly. Is this old wisdom? He waits to hear from me. History, Stephen said, is a nightmare from which I am trying to awake. From the playfield the boys raised a shout, a whirring whistle, goal! What if that nightmare gave you a back kick? The ways of the Creator are not our ways, Mr. Deasy said. All human history moves towards the one great goal, the manifestation of God. Stephen jerked his thumb towards the window, saying, "'That is God. Hooray! Aye! Whee!' "'What?' Mr. Deasy asked. "'A shout in the street,' Stephen answered, shrugging his shoulders. 
Mr. Deasy looked down and held for a while the wings of his nose tweaked between his fingers. Looking up again, he set them free. "'I am happier than you are,' he said. "'We have committed many errors and many sins. A woman brought sin into the world. For a woman who was no better than she should be, Helen, the runaway wife of Menelaus. Ten years the Greeks made war on Troy. A faithless wife first brought the strangers to our shore here. MacMorrow's wife and her leman, O'Rourke, Prince of Brefni. A woman, too, brought Parnell low. Many errors, many failures, but not the one sin. I am a struggler now at the end of my days, but I will fight for the right till the end. For Ulster will fight, and Ulster will be right. Stephen raised the sheets in his hand. Well, sir, he began, I foresee, Mr. Deasy said, that you will not remain here very long at this work. You are not born to be a teacher, I think. Perhaps I am wrong. A learner, rather, Stephen said. And here, what will you learn more? Mr. Deasy shook his head. Who knows, he said. To learn one must be humble, but life is the great teacher. Stephen rustled his sheets again. As regards these, he began. Yes, Mr. Deasy said, you have two copies there. If you can have them published at once. Telegraph, Irish Homestead. I will try, Stephen said, and let you know tomorrow. I know two editors slightly. That will do, Mr. Deasy said briskly. I wrote last night to Mr. Field, M.P. There is a meeting of the Cattle Traders Association today at the City Arms Hotel. I asked him to lay my letter before the meeting. You see if it can get you into your two papers. What are they? The evening telegraph? That will do, Mr. Deasy said. There is no time to lose. Now I have to answer that letter from my cousin. Good morning, sir, Stephen said, putting the sheets in his pocket. Thank you. Not at all, Mr. Deasy said, as he searched the papers on the desk. I'd like to break a lance with you, old as I am. Good morning, sir, Stephen said again, bowing to his bent back. He went out by the open porch and down the gravel path under the trees, hearing the cries of voices and cracks of sticks from the playfield. The lions couchant on their pillars as he passed through the gate. Toothless terrors. Still I will help him in his fight. Mulligan will dub me a new name, the Bullock-Befriending Bard. Mr. Dedalus, running after me. No more letters, I hope. Just one moment. Yes, sir, Stephen said, turning back to the gate. Mr. Deasy halted, breathing hard and swallowing his breath. I just wanted to say, he said, Ireland, they say, has the honor of being the only country which never persecuted the Jews. Do you know that? No. And do you know why? He frowned sternly on the bright air. Why, sir, Stephen asked, beginning to smile. Because she's never let them in, Mr. Deasy said solemnly. A cough-ball of laughter leapt from his throat, dragging after it a rattling chain of phlegm. He turned back quickly, coughing, laughing, his lifted arms waving to the air. "'She never let them in!' he cried again through his laughter as he stamped on gaitered feet over the gravel of the path. "'That's why!' On his wise shoulders, through the checkerwork of leaves, the sun flung spangles, dancing coins. End of section 3